Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Kelsey Bowler. And I'm Virginia Allen. And back in studio with us today is our good friend and Heritage Foundation Senior Communications Manager for National Security and Foreign Policy, Gloria Taylor. Gloria, welcome back. Thrilled to be here. <laughs> well, as you all remember, Gloria wears a lot of hats around here in the building and on the cons team. And one of those honorary hats is that of Taylor Swift enthusiast and expert. And Kelsey, I know that you are also quite the Taylor Swift fan yourself. So let's talk Midnight's. What do y'all think? Best of Taylor Swift or worst of Taylor Swift music? 1000% best. That's going to be the answer for every album, even though I think every time, oh, I'm not going to like it as much as something else I do. <laughs> all right. All right. So that's Gloria's take. Kelsey, what, what did you think? I wasn't disappointed, but I was critical. Hmm. Um, I, I think the tunes are very sweet and like the, the they have the vibe, the sound that I like. One of the things I didn't love about it is the the you know the bet the I, I think my favorite part about Taylor Swift is her songwriting ability. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a very hard time understanding the lyrics in a lot of the songs because there's okay. so much background music and noise. And that's not necessarily like it's bad background music and noise. Like it's all very catchy. But you know, I grew up being able to sing along to every song. I knew every lyric and I never had to dig through and find the lyrics online to read them because I just understood them. And I feel like in this album, the lyrics are a bit drowned out. Hmm. Well, I guess I'm going to have the most negative opinion. Ooh. So I liked a few of the songs a lot, but I actually felt like she was stepping backwards a little Ooh. bit in her like music abilities. It felt like she was catering to a younger audience, which I, I do understand there's a a strategic advantage to doing that. She's a businesswoman, but I, I felt like, okay, we've all sort of in a way gone through, you know, our, our teens, our twenties with Taylor Swift. Yeah. We've grown up with her. Exactly. <laughs> so she needs to grow up with us, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was sort of like, okay, wait, are, are we still singing about revenge? Are we still singing about getting back at the guy? I feel like Taylor, we've been there, done that. You're as far as we all know, you're in a stable relationship. Um, and I felt like with folklore, we saw this incredible side of Taylor Swift come out of this really deep and incredible songwriting ability that was felt like it was tapping into a new level of Taylor's talents. And so I think I was expecting that this album would build upon that. And it felt more like a regression. Still fun. Still like it. Not my favorite. Interesting, because that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. My biggest critique is the like very awkwardly placed curse words. Yeah, <laughs> yes. they just kind of feel really unnecessary. Um, they felt like, forced, very forced. Um, <laughs> but it's weird because once you hear a curse word in a song, then not hearing it is weird too. It's true. So it, it was just weird. But one thing I love about her in this album is that it reminds you of the purpose of an album, not just a single mm -hmm. or a piece of a song on TikTok. Which I think some of those songs are, you know, TikTokable. Whatever mm -hmm. you shouldn't be. On TikTok, by the way. It's a national security threat. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what I love about the the part that you're talking about. It's regressive. I think it's so cool how it's like a concept album of mm -hmm. all these different midnights of the past and how you know, emotions don't die. Right. Um, and you can go back and relive those things and process them differently. And I was on a long run this weekend and listened to this playlist that was like the companion songs from her past works to the Midnight songs. Mm. And it was really cool to see the different themes and the way the songs sound a little bit similar, but more um, 
grown up or different than yeah. songs in the past. Like I think he knows from a lover is the companion to Lavender Haze, oh, which is so. I didn't do my research on this album, <laughs> yeah. which is unlike I'm, me I'm because I oh, yes, yeah. I used to be a Taylor Swift aficionado, um, but now I have two little kids and haven't had time to do that. So, <laughs> it, I, but I was curious because I did notice some themes that matched. Yeah up with old songs so this isn't necessarily taylor swift now this is no. sort of more from her vault more okay. music from her past experiences it's that's, a little bit of that's both what's going on. okay interesting like for example did i think we we're gonna get a song about john mayer <laughs> no but is it amazing yes <laughs> call you, him do you know out. which one that one yes could have would have should have she literally says i didn't know i was gonna dance with the devil at 19 you should have <laughs> Let me be. It's so awesome. Wow. Oh okay. Gosh. Well, I feel like I can have more appreciation for it with that. Yeah. Yeah. I need to re-listen. It's, it's yeah, very much part knowledge. of the like Taylor Swift creating her own universe for her fans, yeah. which is very cool. Mm. And then one more tip I just have to say is okay. so cool. She released a music video for Bejeweled, my favorite song on the entire album. Ooh. Gonna wear sparkles everywhere all the time. <laughs> and she, at one scene, she's getting in an elevator and then presses a button on the elevator. And you notice buttons one through 13 are all the colors of previous albums in order. Mm. And the 13th number, which would be the next album to come out, was purple. So she kind of telling us that Speak Now, Taylor's version is next. Wow. So she's just done such a cool job of creating this whole universe with easter eggs in this album that has she, been super fun she really is good at that i have made your hats off for her to do those little easter eggs because it's brilliant and i i truly respect her as a businesswoman in that regard oh yeah like, all right kelsey we have a full show planned for today go ahead and let us know what we have queued up yeah i guess we have some more serious topics i guess so. <laughs> <laughs> up on today's problematic woman we are talking about the cost of freedom as we speak, women and men are risking their lives in Iran to protest in the streets and call for life and liberty in their nation. We'll tell you what you need to know about what's going on there and how you can support this uprising. TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney, who identifies as transgender, was invited to the White House. We'll talk about those priorities. And also on today's show, America's education report card is in and it has a lot of bad news. We break it all down. As always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find the stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. We are going halfway around the world to Iran for our first segment today. Protests are raging across the country, which were sparked by the death of Masha Amini, a 22-year-old woman who was arrested by the morality police in Iran and beaten to death. And what was Amani's crime? She was wearing a headscarf known as a hijab incorrectly, and her death has sparked protests across the country against the totalitarian Iranian regime. And many of these protests are being led by women and often young women, high school and college girls. They are demanding their freedom. In fact, one of the common chants that they're saying during the protests is women, life, freedom. 
The protests have been going on for about 40 days now, and it's really become one of the biggest women's rights movements in recent history, protesting the cruelty of the Iranian government. Iranian human rights activists estimate that at least 201 Iranians have been killed in the nationwide protests and thousands more have been arrested. But Kelsey, I I know that you have had a conversation with someone who is quite familiar with the situation on the ground in Iran. Tell us who you talked with and what you have learned as as you spoke with that individual and as you have really delved in and done research on what's going on over there. Yeah, I had the honor of speaking with an Iranian American who still has family over there. And, you know, this is a movement that I think we've all seen tidbits of on social media. And I've really been asking, what can we do to support? I've been trying to understand it. But the problem is we've only been getting tidbits, little snippets of what's happening there, viral videos where you don't really have the full context. So as sort of a journalist, you get a little nervous to go overboard and share these and kind of act like you know what you're talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the fact of the matter is the Iranian government has been censoring these protests. They've been actually shutting down the internet. It's been very difficult for them to get their messages out there and to communicate with the free world about what they are facing. In the cases where they are able to get these videos public, they're very brave because there can be very severe consequences for this. And it's basically a lot of Gen Z girls finding pockets of internet here and there and trying to share with their family and friends in other countries, including the United States, about what's going on, you know, hoping the rest of us can support them. And so I thought it would be helpful to provide our listeners with a little context Mm -hmm. of what's happening here. So for 43 years, the Islamic Republic of Iran was running Iran with laws that were extremely oppressive to Iranians, especially women. But since the president changed a year and a half ago, now with a hardliner, this has all changed. A hardliner is now in charge. And one of the things that this government has done is embolden and empower the morality police. They've given themselves the authority to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Their job is to walk the streets, and if they see anybody doing something they don't like, showing a strand of hair, wearing makeup, they have the power to question that individual, to detain them, to beat them with a baton, to take them to an undisclosed location for an interrogation. So this is a lot of power that they've had for the past year and a half, and of course they've abused it. This has led to a lot of beatings and confrontations on the street, which we've seen little tidbits of. The boiling point was when this 22-year-old girl was beaten to death because she was showing a few strands of hair because she was wearing her hijab not completely properly according to these very strict standards. She was detained and beaten to death. So the individual who I spoke with, again, who still has family there, um, told me that When this all started, it wasn't a revolution or a protest. It was simply a plea for basic human rights. Mm. It's organic. And really, the more girls and women that this government is beating, the worse and worse the situation has become. On one hand, it's encouraging to see the uprising gaining speed, but that also reflects the brutality of it. At its core, it's not an economic issue or even a political issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a woman's issue. But instead of the Islamic Republic trying to listen to what the people are saying there, they decided to crack down on them, cause more death. So a little more context, like lay of the land. What are women in Iran subjected to that's motivating them 
to risk their lives. They have the forced hijab where, you know, again, even if you just wear it improperly, the morality police could come for you. Women are banned from entering stadiums. They can't leave the country without permission of their husbands. It's legal for girls as young as 13 to get married, basically, you know, forced marriage. And if divorce is ever allowed, only men can grant one. Women don't have a say. Women can't even ride a bike. So it's very like basic human rights that these women are protesting. And what they're really saying is enough, enough. You can't ruin our lives. You can't tell us what to say and how to think. It's morphed into a revolution that's calling for a replacement of the regime. We're hearing chants, death to the dictator, down with the regime. We don't want the Islamic Republic anymore. The core of their chants is women, life, liberty. I'm intrigued by the fact that, you know, it's not getting more media attention. But again, that's because Media has no access to this, but what this individual told me is the regime attacked all the universities around the country, including the top university in Iran with some of the brightest and best minds in the country. Forces surrounded the campus, trapped the students inside, beat up students and faculty, detained a lot of them, used live ammunition. There were videos of armed police officers beating up pregnant women in the streets as her husband pleads, please don't beat her, she's pregnant. And what this individual told me is when armed forces of a country turns inward and attacks its own citizens, the citizens of the world need to speak up. That was very powerful to me. So let's take a step back yeah. and ask how the, the U.S. is responding. What can and should we do to support them? Well, first off, what we can and should do is use our voice to stand up for their human rights, to raise attention to what's going on there, to educate the public, which I hope by having this conversation today, we're doing a small part in that. But also, we need to take a critical look at the Biden administration's response. Of course, this is an administration that came into office claiming to prioritize human rights and democracy. And yet, as these protests got started, I would say the Biden administration was very slow to respond and support them. They were still moving forward with the highly misguided and I would say moral Iran deal until just recently when they supposedly put that on pause. But to me, it appears the Biden administration is speaking from both sides of its mouth. You know, we'll see press statements. We support the women of Iran. But it, it is very clear that moving forward with the Iran deal is still a priority to this administration. And what what would that do? What would an Iran deal do to this situation? It would line the pockets of the very individuals who are oppressing and killing women and young girls in the street. It is so immoral. It is such a mistake for the Biden administration to even be considering moving forward with the Iran deal. Mm -hmm. And yet, it, it it appears, you know, it's not totally off the table yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, very, I think under a Trump administration, we would be seeing a very different response. I know, Gloria, uh, you work with a lot of national security experts. I know the Heritage Foundation has done a lot of work pushing back on the Iran deal. Like, what am I getting wrong? Why was this so hard for the Biden administration to just say no? I think you hit the nail on the head when you say they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. How can you sit here and say, we champion women when you're literally working with an evil, flat out evil regime trying to 
line their pockets, as you say, with the Iran deal for a political win to say that you got back in this deal that Trump pulled out of. It's the height of lunacy. What's up is down. What's left is right. You know, it, it makes absolutely no sense. And I think what's so terrifying here is the fact that people are not paying attention and you just see these, oh, you know, these statements, we support the people of Iran. I think what you're seeing from this administration is continually these, you know, pithy statements, we support women. These pithy statements, oh, you know, the economy is under control. I would go even further and say these are just flat out lies. Mm -hmm. I can't take anything that they're saying seriously about the situation when it, it's not true. Yeah. So that's incredibly frustrating. It is. For me, Seeing what's unraveling in Iran, it gives me a lot of pause as an American to step back and recognize all of the tension that we have in America over the past several years throughout history. Yeah, we're, we're not a perfect nation, how, but how blessed are we that we have freedom, that we have liberties, and that those liberties as women have grown and expanded and you know that we've seen throughout history as as women have spoken out and taken a stand that they that they have been heard and what a gift is that to live in America in a nation where our voices are heard where we truly have power and authority to create mm -hmm. change and don't have to live in fear like we can walk out the door knowing you know that we're going to come home i was reading reports where you know fathers say it's frightening you know your daughter leaves the house and you hope that she's going to come back but there's the reality of they could be stopped by the morality police and they're not coming home that night well i think too it, this makes all the more important to stand up here at home for when you see this administration, this government weaponizing its own power against Americans, whether that's, you know, social media censorship, mm -hmm. whether that's weaponizing the FBI against teachers and mm -hmm. parents. You're seeing very, very small seeds of that same type of let's weaponize the government and our power against yeah. its own people. And it's all the more important we see that happening here and stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the words of Reagan that we love quoting here, freedom is truly never more than one generation away from extinction. So it does take every single generation as we're seeing now this generation, this new generation in Iran who's rising up and saying, we don't want this reality for our kids. We want to change. And for us living in America, it takes us stepping up to say, we want our kids, we want our grandkids to know freedom, to experience freedom, to have those liberties. Yeah. And just to wrap this segment up, I, I'll say this story is a perfect example of why I'm so critical of the American feminist movement why I often call it selfish, because in America, we do have so many freedoms and privileges. And then you look at a country like Iran, where women are literally getting killed for wearing a hijab incorrectly, according to these ridiculous, inhumane standards. I mean, it, it really does put it all into perspective. And it reminds us why Feminism should be standing up for all women, not just the agenda that suits your desires here in the United States. It reminds me of sort of the Trump mean tweets thing. Like, is, is the current situation better than the Trump mean tweets? Because at the end of the day, the feminist movement in the United States pushed the Biden administration into office. They empowered this administration, which 
is not standing up for women and girls in Iran in the way I believe they should. I, I think this has been an immoral response on behalf of the Biden administration. They have dragged their feet and they appear still committed to lining the pockets of a regime that is oppressing and killing women and girls on the street. And at the end of the day, policy matters. <laughs> and this is appeasement just... matters. Mm -hmm. It's not just Iran. Look at China. Right. Mm -hmm. The right. Uyghurs, you know, it's a pervasive issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And on all these issues, the Trump administration had the right policies. Conservatives had the right policies. I'm sorry that some of the country didn't appreciate <laughs> the former president's tweets. I, I have sympathy for that, but it's more important to stand up for the dignity yeah. and basic human rights by supporting the politicians who are implementing the right policies. Yeah. So that's my big takeaway. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well, I want to talk about contrasting. While while in Iran, women are fighting for their lives, for their rights, their basic human rights. Here in America, uh, we have men running around in high heels pretending to be women. More on that in just a moment. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, then look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. And every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you facts on the issues that matter most, from the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for that next episode to drop, you can listen to past episodes at iwf.org, or you can search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Well, you all will remember that last week we talked on the show about actor and TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan is a man who believes he is a woman who impersonates women in really the most offensive ways. He is most known for his Broadway performance in The Book of Mormon, in which, oh, by the way, he plays a man. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Well, and as you all remember, he recently joined the Alta Beauty podcast to talk about girlhood since, you know, he has experienced girlhood for such a long time. He's such an expert. Like 200 and a lot days. Of, yeah, 200 <laughs> days. Good for him. Really know what it's like. Really. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm sure he grew up listening to Taylor Swift and He's, knows everything. He's walked in those <laughs> shoes, you know. And a lot of women are rightly a little bit offended by this, that, you know, you would have a man go on a beauty podcast to talk about what it's like to be a woman but the plot has thickened this week because President Biden invited Mulvaney to the White House. Yes, this is the Biden administration's priority right now, sitting down with a woman impersonator. So Biden, who rarely sits down with any journalist, invited Mulvaney to come to the White House to interview him on transgender issues. And I just have to give a major shout out to Amber Athey. She's a journalist, and she wrote um, this great piece in The Spectator about the whole situation. She said, Biden will rarely sit down for an interview with an actual news reporter, even one from a left-wing outlet. But he is happy to provide legitimacy to a former Broadway actor who has redirected his performance art into playing a make-believe girl boss. Whew. Man, snaps after that. Like, Amber, <laughs> thank you for just saying it like it is. But, I mean, what do you all think 
President Biden is thinking to give legitimacy to someone like Dylan Mulvaney, to give him a platform and say, hey, come on, you can interview me at the White House. It's what? pretty clear <laughs> the lights are not on <laughs> with Biden. So whoever is running the show is so clearly entrenched in a worldview that is so unbelievably not even real that you would think this is a good time to prioritize this mm. while you literally have Americans saying we cannot afford gas. We cannot afford food. People are dying of fentanyl overdoses. One of the, all these things caused by your administration, but no, let's sit here and literally act like womanhood is a costume. Mm. It is so deeply offensive and disgusting. I do not have the words to like even go any farther. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that interview, Biden was asked about whether states should be allowed to ban so-called gender affirming care. And what we're talking about are irreversible surgeries in many cases for children. We've talked about this many times on the show before. Biden's response was, I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that as a moral question and as a legal question. I just think it's wrong. I mean, first off, this is a supposed moderate in the White House, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting. He he said, I don't think any state or anybody, I mean, to me, anybody also refers to parents. Yep, so yep. is what President Biden telling us there is that I don't believe parents should have the right to stop our children from castrating themselves 100%. before they're 18. I mean, yeah. this is so extreme and quite frankly, shocking if you consider the context of this issue globally where countries including the UK, Sweden and Finland are actually shutting down these gender clinics because the evidence does not justify these types of invasive procedures for children and adolescents and yet Biden of course he I'm sure he knows nothing of depth of this issue. I, I, I highly doubt it's something he's actually considered. He is simply trying to appease the far left which, Timing wise is just really interesting heading to into mm -hmm. the midterm elections when we know parents are fired up about bureaucrats, adults who are claiming to have more authority over their children than them themselves. Yeah, well, and that's the sobering reality. Uh, Mulvaney has 8 million followers on TikTok. That's a huge reach. And quite frankly, I think ahead of the election, this was a strategic move that the president and the Biden administration thought, you know what, for so many young people that have jumped on this bandwagon on the trans issue, let's have Mulvaney come to the White House and we'll talk about this issue. And then knowing full well, Mulvaney's going to go on his TikTok account and talk about this and get people riled up and Mulvaney put out a call for people to go vote. You know, wonder how he's going to vote. But this was strategic, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, I think if Biden fully understood, I don't think he would be for this. I feel like he has so become a puppet of the radical left yeah. uh, and he does not fully understand what he is saying when he says, oh, yeah, you know, anyone should be allowed to just transition. He yeah. doesn't understand the weight of those words. And I mean, you have no license to me to talk about women's rights now. I mean, between Iran, this, you don't even know what a woman is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 
I've watched a lot of his TikToks just out of curiosity for you know, the 8 million people that are watching this and somehow thinking it's okay and this is normal and are buying into all of this. And I've thought a lot about like womanhood and how deeply offensive this is and how you're literally erasing what it is to be a woman. And he's literally saying, oh, because I throw makeup on and I feel like a woman and I have these surgeries, I'm now a woman. And I've had to think as someone who has had to have a double mastectomy, mm -hmm. who isn't having a period, who's been thrown into menopause, mm -hmm. that doesn't make me any less of a woman. It's mm -hmm. who I am and that cannot be changed. Yep. And what an agent of evil and of chaos to confuse people about the very most basic thing about them. Yeah. Found so foundational, Gloria. Mm -hmm. And I think you speak from such a powerful uh, perspective because of what you have walked through in your breast cancer journey. And you need to like write a book or something. People keep <laughs> telling me that. Oh. <laughs> no, but thank you for, for sharing that perspective, Gloria, because it really is profound. Well, quite frankly, in another instance where the Biden administration has let the American people down, Ugh. unfortunately, is is the issue of education, which we know, of course, also majorly affects our kids and policies of the Biden administration. They have let Americans down in the field of education, especially over the past two years. So the numbers, the numbers are in. We have the facts. We have the data. And America's math and reading scores, they are way down. Yeah, it's depressing and unacceptable. The National Assessment of Educational Progress is often called the nation's report card. This year's assessment is the first one to be completed since before the pandemic in 2019. This is not a report card that any child would be proud to show their parents. The National Report Card shows that the average math score for an eighth grader fell by eight points from 2019 to 2022. This is the greatest decline in the math score in three decades. Reading scores for fourth graders fell to the lowest level they have been since 1990. So the experts that are, are looking at this, talking about this, uh, they say that remote learning, COVID-19, is, is largely to blame for a lot of this drastic decline in the math and reading scores. Lindsay Burke, she's our director um, at the Heritage Foundation for the Center for Education Policy, and she says the decline in, in test scores is likely the result of multiple factors. Yes, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also special interest groups' preoccupation with radical gender ideology and critical race theory during the pandemic. And I thought Lindsay's assessment of this was really interesting. She wrote about it for the Daily Signal. I mean, what do you all think? Because I think everyone across the board, whether Republican, Democrat, they're like, okay, yeah, we can recognize probably sending kids home to do school on a laptop for two years, not the best idea. But then to bring in that added layer of recognizing the distraction that talking about things like critical race theory um, brings into the classroom, because that's time taken away from things like math and reading. Yeah, it's very clear to me that educators are prioritizing the role of being an activist rather mm. than basic reading, writing, math, and science. I certainly in part do blame, blame it on lockdowns, on COVID, but I look more critically at the role of our education institution, the bureaucrats, the teachers unions, mm -hmm. who are just obsessive obsessively fighting to indoctrinate our children with their own woke priorities. You know, I'm a mom of two young kids and 
soon. I, I, you know, I'm already thinking about where I'm going to send them to school. I am a product of the public education system. I always thought that's where I would send my children to school, but it just doesn't seem possible anymore. These educators are just going rogue. They think it's empowering to expose children to pornographic materials. And it's so disheartening because I am so on one hand encouraged by the ways in which parents are fighting back, are standing up to their local school boards, but also it feels like we still have so much to do. And this report card really shows like how how bad this is, how behind our American education system is. So because of that, I really support school choice. Um, mm-hmm. Every parent should have the right to send their child to a school that's not going to indoctrinate their children, but simply to educate them. Uh, we need to get back to basics. Yeah. Say the concentration of power anywhere is frightening and concerning, much less when it's being used and weaponized to indoctrinate the next generation. And that's a very, very scary thing. And it, it just points out all the need more to break up the you know, cartel of these hmm. um, special interest educators and teachers unions. Yeah. So it, it, it's been really encouraging to see how COVID has shined a light for parents on what is actually being taught and the steps we're taking to come back. And you just hope that that continues. Yeah. No, I, I do feel optimistic because I think so many parents have woken up to what's going on. They're taking that step to homeschool and they're is um, so much movement towards more school choice. And I think the more and more we see that, the more and more we're going to see all boats rise because it's going to add pressure to public schools to say, oh, wait, we actually have to step up and do our jobs or, you know, all of our kids are going to wind up in private schools or homeschooling. So optimistic for the future of education. We're in a bit of a rough patch right now. So... (laughs) You know, maybe if if you are an educator, man, hats off to you. Thank you for what you do. That is a hard job. We need intelligent people with values to be in our schools and loving our kids well. So thank you for all of our teachers out there. But Gloria, we want to thank you for your time today and for joining us. It is always a pleasure. Always an honor. To have you on, to talk about everything from Iran to Taylor Swift. It's just great. Get you a woman that can do it all. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, stay tuned because we will be back in just a moment to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now it is that time once again to crown the problematic woman of the week. This week, the crown goes to Macy Maxson. Macy Maxton is the founder of the tampon company Garnu. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Virginia? You are. That All is right. right. <laughs> uh, she joined the podcast just this week 
Yeah, we had such a good conversation with Macy on Tuesday, and I wanted to take a moment here to recognize her today for for three reasons. As we talked with her about on Tuesday, she is taking a really bold stand on women's rights. She will not back down on the truth that only women are women, that only women have periods. Women, we're not bleeders. We're not birthing people. We are women. And I love that as the owner of a tampon company, she is so bold about saying this and so fearless, really, in in an age where, unfortunately, saying only women are women is a controversial statement. And the second reason why I think she is just uh, such a woman to admire is because she's a young entrepreneur. She she started this business out of her home. She's working hard to make it happen, to grow her own business and to make it a reality. That takes an insane amount of work. And finally, she's using Garnu as a tool to serve vulnerable women and girls overseas, specifically in Nepal, because a portion of all of the tampon sales from Garnu go to support women and girls in Nepal who are vulnerable to sex trafficking. And man, what a cool way to use your business to actually have impact in the world. So if you didn't catch that interview with Macy, be sure to check it out. It's the last episode that we put out here from Problematic Women. And when we talked with Macy, she was kind enough to actually give all of our listeners here at Problematic Women a code to get 10% off your order. So if you go to Garnu, which is G-A-R-N-U-U.com and at checkout, you can use the code Problematic Women with a capital P and a capital W to get 10% off your order. This is not an endorsement or um, an ad, but just was very kind of Macy to be like, hey, want you guys to want your audience to get to try these products at a slightly, slightly discounted rate. So check her out. But a huge congrats to Macy for being crowned our well-deserving Problematic Woman of the Week. But we are out of time. So with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, man, we need your support in the podcast world. So we so appreciate when you take the time to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I know one of our listeners just recently left us a review. I was reading it this morning. Thank you for whoever that was that did that. We so value hearing your feedback. Yes, it really does make a difference. And we hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.